Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's get started. Three big things. Brawls at the bar ballpark. Now, I was at the Cubs game, the Cubs Brewers game on Thursday night. And I, I sit in the lower boxes. And it's, I have a 20 pack of season tickets. And I was there with my best friend. And, and I, I have to say, there were more. It was, it was kind of frustrating because I would say in the area where I was, there were more Cubs fans than Brewers fans. And it, was, it wasn't it was a very good game. I mean, the, the Brewers weren't really even competitive in it, errors. It was very frustrating. But I will say on Thursday night, now Thursday night, the attendance, I, I want to say they had like 25,000 people. So it was not sparsely attended, but it wasn't by any mad, stretch of the imagination full. And I actually thought the crowd was well-behaved. I have... I have ripped on Cubs fans in the past, um, but when I was there on Thursday night, my experience was was a, was a positive one. I mean, the Brewers lost and they didn't play a very good game, but I, I didn't see, I, I didn't hear the screaming obscenities. I mean, I, the Cubs fans I was around were, you know, they were they were cheering and things like that, but they weren't. It, it wasn't obnoxious. I didn't hear the obscenities. But again, I'm I'm in the the, the lower. I was I was kind of like behind home plate in one of those sections. So. I don't know what was going on in the, you know, 400 level or stuff like that. But I did not get the sense, you know, being there on Thursday night that there were brawls or things like that going on. That apparently changed dramatically over the weekend. Friday night um, was apparently a slugfest, and I'm not talking about the ball game necessarily. Um, A series of fights breaking out, including... Fight breaking out among local media types. This is one of these underreported stories. I'm not going to mention names because there have not been, even though my understanding is that there was uh, an arrest, there there haven't been charges yet. But (laughs) this is is one of these kind of bizarre things. Apparently there's there's a group of reporters, or at least some people that work at Fox 6, and there's one Fox 6 reporter, this is the way the allegations go, who is loudly ripping on another Fox 6 reporter. And the Fox 6 reporter is dating or engaged or something like that to a Channel 4 reporter. Then the Channel 4 reporter gets it into it with a Fox 6 reporter, and a punch is thrown, and there's an injury. And um, it's just, I assume that that story will at least at some point in time come out when and if criminal charges are issued. But you, you've got brawls among TV reporters and punches being thrown at the ball game. Don't know if alcohol was involved, but, gee, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. But I don't know. I don't know, but the interesting the thing was, it wasn't like somebody was making fun of the other TV station. Apparently, the way the reports are, the one guy was making fun of one of his colleagues, and then it's a reporter from Channel 4 that steps in to try to, I don't know, um, again, stand up for the, I don't know, just just a bizarre thing. But that's that's just one of the, the fights that apparently is going on in the stands, a whole series of, of other fights as well, Friday night. 400 level, there's a number of videos that are circulating um, on social media where you have Brewers fans taking on Cubs fans. Um, the two games on Saturday and Sunday were not evening games. Um, one was a 3 o'clock game on Saturday. The other was a 1 o'clock game on Sunday. So my sense is it wasn't as bad because, again, you know, people hadn't had all day to drink. But my experience on Thursday night was not a bad experience. Like I say, more Cubs fans than Brewers fans, but at least where I was, it didn't have the obnoxious kind of threatening nature that other Cubs-Brewers games have been to. Friday night, I get the idea that there was a different dynamic. One segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, if you were at one of the ball games over the weekend, 
I mean, was it particularly Friday night? Um, was it bad? Was it confrontational? Was it obnoxious Cubs fans? Was it obnoxious Brewers fans? Was something different going on than perhaps when I was there on Thursday night? Now, again, anytime you know you're in a large crowd of people and there's fans from different teams, there's going to be some interactions. I have taken the position over the past that, with all due respect, individually, you might be, if you're a Cubs fan, you might be a wonderful person. My experience at Miller Park has been collectively Cubs fans are the worst. By worst, I mean just totally obnoxious, things like that. I didn't see a lot of that on Thursday night, but it sounds like Friday might have been different. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, all right. We're, was it out of control over the weekend, and who was to blame? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Austin in New Berlin. Austin, you're first. Hello. Hey Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, we were. I was at the game on uh, Saturday with uh, a lot of friends, and uh, there was a play at the plate that was controversial, and they reviewed it in the umpires. And during the review, actually, like a guy ten rows ahead of us came back and got in one of my friends' faces just because we thought the call was safe, and he thought they were out, or the other way around. But right. and just for no reason. They so this is a guy who's like ten rows away from you who comes yeah. back and gets in your face. Okay. Yeah, and and we weren't doing it. We, we were cheering loud for our Brewers, but nothing, nothing bad. But he just kind of came up to us, and we all were like, what, "What's going on? Are you right? Where were you? Where if where were you at, Austin? Where where what level were you sitting in? Uh, it was we were in section four thirty two. Oh, so you were up in the top. Yeah, I my I am told um, that that. I mean, so you're in one of the. It's great that you're there, but you're in one of some of the lower price seats. I'm told that it's Correct. worse up at the. The higher you get, the worse it gets, is what I'm told. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. So. Okay, well, thanks, Doug I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. Okay, how bad was it at the ballpark over the weekend? Um, uh, and like I say, it, my experience has been Cubs fans are about as obnoxious as it gets. Collectively, I'm talking about now, what did you experience? It's 1214. We're back with more calls in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. Drunk old guy, Brewers fan, club level Friday night, kept trying to egg the dozens of Cubs fans around us on. Thankfully, they all ignored him. We had our kids at the game, didn't want to be involved. Side note, always hate taking kids to the Cubs games. Yeah, that's that's kind of, um, that is sort of the thing, one, one way or the other. Now, one of these videos that's circulating about a fight Friday night in the upper deck, it, it appears from at least the video that's out there, that it's the Brewers fan that is the aggressor. So, I mean, I understand that it takes two to to tango. But the, the other thing, on the point of people taking kids to these games, it, it is, I tell you, some of these evening games, especially it's with the Cubs, I, I, don't, I don't know why anybody in their right mind would take their kids because even though, like I say, the crowd was tame where I was down on the, on the, uh, on the field level, on Thursday night, there, you've got all sorts of people who just, Every third word is the F word. And I swear to God, I don't understand why why that is. Why it is that, because I, I mean, you just kind of cringe. You look around and there's young kids. And I'm, I guess, look, I understand that they probably heard the word. But, you know, and I'm not, this is Brewers fan. This is Cubs fans. It's like, really? You know, okay, we're, we're out here. Does every third word have to be that word? Do you have to use it as an adjective and an adverb and a noun and a verb? I mean, for goodness sakes. Um, yeah. Let's talk to Daniel in Chicago. Daniel, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What do you think? Hey, you know, I was just listening to you, and, and the one word that came to mind, and you finally hit it on the head, it, it's obnoxious. 
Yeah. I'm a Sox fan, and I, I was saying to your guy, you know, luckily we have two teams down here, and a, a big reason most Sox fans, I think, hate the Cubs, it, it's really because they're a fan. They're obnoxious. Most of them don't know much about the game. They, they wear all their, you know, their, their hats and shirts, and they think they're the biggest fans in the world, and they can't tell you much about the team or the history. It's pretty annoying, and I can imagine for you guys the fact that I had a friend who told me that it was 80-20 Cup fans on Saturday. It, that sounds ridiculous to me. It, well, it, it, it could very well be. I mean, because what ends up happening is, first of all, the Cubs fans travel well. Let's give credit where credit's due. Uh, Wrigley's a hard ticket to get, and you can come up to Milwaukee and spend the weekend. I I do cringe. I mean, look, I, I, I'm i glad people come into town and spend their money. Thank you very much. But I, I do kind of cringe. I, I, 80-20 doesn't sound unreasonable to me a, at all. Um, and it's a frustration for us Brewers fans. Yeah. It's a frustration for us. No, th- thanks for the call. Okay. Now, that is that is fighting words. Gru, who's producing the show, that's fighting words. A White Sox fan calling up and saying, God, you know, there's Cubs fans. They're the most obnoxious fans in the world. You know, we, we, we can't stand them either. Um it's just, I guess the, I mean, here would be my advice to to the Brewers, and I don't know if they do this or or not, um, but it does seem to me that on, I think it's a different sort of thing when the Cubs come to town, and if they don't have extra security and extra cops on premises, that they, they really they really should be doing that, because um, you you never know when a fight's going to break out. Either between two rival TV reporters or between you know Cubs fans and and Brewers fans, but it does look. I love going to the ball games. I I, I just do. But if you're sitting there at the ball game, the last thing you want to hear again is the person behind you. Every third word is the F word at the top of their lungs, or you know the obnoxious people that are either on the verge of fighting or fights actually do break out. So Cubs have at least two more trips back to Milwaukee and. Maybe we can learn from what happened over the weekend and, I don't know, maybe treat it kind of like soccer games, you know, in Great Britain and all, knowing that, you know, you're, you know that there's going to be problems, so get ready to deal. When we come back, speaking of you know there's going to be problems, pretty much wherever Hurricane Linda, uh, Lena Taylor, where whatever wherever she goes, trouble follows. We'll talk about that next. It's 1221. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two twelve twenty three. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Summer beer go together with the Milwaukee County Traveling Beer Gardens. Text beer garden, all one word, to seven nine nine one six twenty to get the full schedule of where you can find the beer gardens this year. Now I have a text or an email from uh, one of the people who works as an usher. Was worked at Miller Park as an usher and said, "Well, they did have added security on, on Friday night. Obviously, not enough." Um, I don't know. I didn't get a chance to look at the schedule. I do not know if there's any more. Home weekend games involving the Cubs. Cubs come into town, I think, two more times. Don't know if there's any home weekend evening games, because that seems to me where the like, most great greatest likelihood for problems are. But um, if, if there are, again, I repeat, my advice to the Brewers would be if they had security there on Friday, they didn't have enough. And what you need to do is huge, whether it's a huge police presence, it is unfortunate, but a huge police presence or security presence all over, particularly the upper decks. I'm not saying it can't happen in the field levels as well, but the problem seems to be the higher up you get, the more the problem is. And if there's other weekend games, that would be my advice, just saying. All right, State Senator Lena Taylor. Now, I've known Lena for a long time. State Senator who represents uh, the Milwaukee area, Glendale, things like that. I, I, On a personal level, I've always liked her. 
I, I've always thought she's smarter in real life than the character she plays in public. I mean, I, I, I you know, we've we've done TV shows together, you know, sitting around as political commentators beforehand, and I find her to be smart and engaging and well-read and actually thoughtful. And then what happens is there's occasions when the TV camera goes on or the microphone clips on, and th- this smart, thoughtful person just becomes somebody completely different, whether it's pandering to the crowd or saying things that think she has to think she says for her constituents or to get elected, whatever. And I just kind of always marvel at that. So I've always seen the two Lena Taylors. Lena has also always been somewhat of a train wreck <laughs> as far as um, problems and entitlement and the don't you know who I am, which if phrases, if I was going to, well, we'll, we'll make it, you know, like Wagner's Rule 13. Um, you should ne- the words don't you know who I am don't you know who I am six words don't being a contraction should never come out of people's mouths because it never helps don't you know who I am all right there's an incident uh, that occurred on Friday uh, the police reports I-, I know we've been trying to we the royal we here we've been trying to get the police reports on this incident since Saturday Milwaukee Police Department's kind of slow rolling the the incident report on this but cobbling together things that we found out and things that have been reported by other sources, including, you know, our, our friends up the dial on WISN, is apparently what happens, this is what appears to have happened. Friday, there's a Wells Fargo bank on Wisconsin Avenue. Police are, I guess, already in the bank for some other reason. That's what I'm being told. So what happens is Lena Taylor is in the bank, and she's trying to cash a check. Now, what happens is anybody who's ever dealt with banks know that if if you, for example, deposit a check, that those proceeds aren't immediately available to you. There, there's what there, there takes time for the check to clear um, for for the time for the check to clear. So, you know, if you deposit a let, let's say you, you deposit a check on Friday. All right, the the proceeds, you're not going to be able to draw on those in, until Monday or Tuesday. It depends. Banks keep them for, you know, a certain number of days and it it depends. But, you know, you can't put in a check in the morning and then cash draw those proceeds. If you got other money in the bank account, that's no different. So, anyways, what apparently happens is Lena Taylor is in the bank and she's trying to cash a check for which she doesn't have enough valid funds in the bank and i i don't know the details i assume it's because maybe something hasn't cleared but you've got the teller now by the way lena taylor is african-american as well as who this teller is apparently lena taylor is extremely upset that she's not able to cash this particular check because the teller's telling her you don't have sufficient funds to cover this at one point in time and so this confrontation results breaks out the way the, the reports are is that lena taylor becomes senator taylor becomes loud um, uses an extremely inappropriate term, uses the N-word, and directs it at the teller. All right? Now, the police are already there. The police then go over, they, they start to intervene in this situation. Lena Taylor then does this, don't you know who I am? At some point in time, the police then end up making a call to their superiors the shift lieutenant, I think, you know, one of the supervisors ends up coming up to the scene. They review the police body camera stuff and the bank surveillance film. So this is all caught on. There, there is, there's film of this, at least what I'm, I am told. There's film of all this. 
So this, this is all caught there, and then ultimately make the decision to issue a, a disorderly conduct charge against Lena Taylor. This is not a criminal charge, right? You've got two different things. You've got criminal disorderly conduct, which is a misdemeanor, and then you've got the civil disorderly conduct, which is it, it's a fine. You know, so it, it can go it can go either way. Um, so it, it doesn't rise to the level of a crime, and that's something that's extremely clear. But but again, you've got a state senator, or at least allegedly, is in this type of confrontation, creating an incident, you know, in in this bank, um, using terms which I think most of us would agree would be inappropriate. Um, I guess there's going to be questions. I, one of the details I want to see is, did she pull the don't you know who I am? Why was it that the supervisor ended up getting called there? I mean, because <clears throat> normally it would just be that the cops on the scene that would make that decision. So I don't know all the details of that. But you have a state senator, and this is, of course, not the first time that there have been incidents involving, again, Lena Taylor, this time with the local bank. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How big a deal is this? Now, she's not up for re-election this year, I, I, I don't believe. Um, but, but there is an ongoing, at least it appears, pattern of sort of these public displays that are out there. And if these allegations are, in fact, true, and regardless of whether or not she deserved to be charged with disorderly conduct, obviously something happened in that bank in the interaction between her and the cops and the teller. So I guess the question is, um, this is on our own time. This is on our own time. Um, but at some point in time, does this erratic behavior become something that constituents should be concerned about? 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Baseball is back, and I want to send you to Miller Park. Be listening today during the 2 o'clock hour of our program, and you have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Florida Marlins on Saturday evening, April 21st. On top of that, I'm going to give you a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. All right, the breaking story over the weekend, like I said, it appears to me the police department is kind of slow rolling the release of information on this, but State Senator Lena Taylor involved in a dust-up and uh, the Wells Fargo Bank on Wisconsin Avenue. Apparently, she's trying to cash a check. She doesn't have sufficient available money in her account. The teller's not giving her the dough, and she starts screaming at the teller, including using the N-word. There's cops in the building. It escalates uh, to the point that supervisors have to be called. Ultimately, she's cited with disorderly conduct. Huh. She says she's going to have a statement today. The police reports have not been released as of yet. Tim in Brown Deer. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jeff. Tim. Jeff, um, you know, just a couple things. I think this has been going on for a long time where people in the know or people with money uh, – are treated differently than the average Joe. I'm a 45 year old white guy. If I walk into a bank and call a teller, a yeah, bank, you just that you're right. I'm don't a, use the n word. You read the n word, but don't read that right. Okay, right. I, I, I'm arrested, and then you know, guys like and, and on a broader picture, Bill Cosby walking around. I mean, anyone who does some of these things would be in jail if you've got money or you've got some fame or power. Um, you know, you're treated differently, and I, I think it's terrible. Well, it, it, I mean, thanks, thanks for the call. I mean, I don't know about the, the treated differently. That's why I want to, 
I, I, I want to wait till I see the, the video of this and, and the police reports and the police accounts. I, I, I do agree with your premise, though. If I were to, and, th- and this is the way I, I, I look at this, if you or I were to walk into a bank, try to cash a check for which we, we don't have enough money in the account, and then go on a tirade, including using that language towards the teller, I, I, I understand you're, you're right. You're probably, there's at least a decent chance that if you don't calm down, you're going to be, you know, issued out, you know, you're going to be ushered out in handcuffs. I, I think there's at least a chance of that. That's why I want to see the police body camera footage. I want to see how she interacted with the police um, and, and how it got to the point that you needed to have a supervisor called. But on top of that, um, how, you know, here's the bigger point, and it's from the perspective of somebody who has at least somewhat of a of a public profile. You can't do this kind of stuff. I, I mean, if if I were in the bank and, and I was having the same sort of thing, I'm trying to cash a check, I'm going on vacation, I need this money, I'm sorry, sir, you can't have access to this money. Well, all right, what are, what are my alternatives? Well, if I'm in the right or I think I'm in the right and I'm not getting anywhere with the teller, I say I need to talk to your manager. Can I, can I see who's the supervisor, who's the bank manager? I want to talk to them. That, that's what you say. Um, or you recognize, all right, gee, I'm probably in the wrong on this. i got to move to plan B to figure out how I'm going to get the dough. Th- those are the diff- two type of things. It, it's mind-boggling to me that somebody, whether you're an elected official or, again, somebody with even a modest public profile would get into a situation like this where you're screaming and you're using this type of language and you're creating a disturbance enough to, you know, attract cops that are in the building and this whole thing escalates. That's what I think is the, the scariest, most troubling aspect of this beyond just, okay, you're arguing with a teller about that. It's this inability to kind of back off and to recognize even if I'm right, I, I'm in the wrong here by escalating and trying to provoke this type of thing. And that's the sort of erratic stuff and the lack of impulse control that makes you wonder, you know, what's what, what's going on here? I mean, you just if, if you're not satisfied with the answer you're getting, you, you go up the chain of authority. You don't scream at some teller who's probably making a 10 bucks an hour, you know, behind the counter. And again, the other thing is you, you put in the racial element here and you have a, you know, you have an African-American female state senator and apparently you have an African-American teller. All right. Gee, this is real great. Let's start throwing these slurs around if that, in fact, happened. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Hi, Tom. Um, now, my question is, can this be considered a hate crime? I mean, if she did drop. Yeah, I, I probably not because um, they're the same race. So my, my answer to your question is probably not without I'm thinking not. about it too hard. But but my advice, Tom, is I wouldn't suggest you go into the bank and start throwing around this Definitely word and direct it towards Definitely tellers. Not. Yeah, that, that, thanks to the guy. No, I don't I don't think this would constitute a hate crime. And look, and I'm not trying to blow this up into more than it is and say, oh, this should be felonies. That, that, that's not it. it it's. It's the broader question of, of erratic behavior if, in fact, this did happen. And I understand you have legislators from both sides of the aisle who engage from time to time in erratic um, and perhaps entitled sort of behavior. Don't you know who I am? 
I what the the Journal Sentinel is of course bringing back uh, in their coverage of this. Um, 2009, Taylor um, was ticketed for crossing the center line on North 35th Street. The police report from the incident said she told officers that we shouldn't waste our energy for the stop. And she can't be expected to wait for the light. <laughs> Taylor was very argumentative and appeared her intent was to provoke an argument with the officers. That's what the police report says. Um, ultimately, she ended up paying a $122 uh, ticket. Um, so I, there is kind of a pattern. There's other things as well. It, it's always interesting to me when I see Lena Taylor, like I say, in the news, because my, my private dealings with her, um, I, I'm just convinced that there's two two Lena Taylors out there. But what are you doing in in a bank behaving in this fashion? And yes, by the way, if this was a Republican legislator who was doing the same thing, yeah, you'd, you'd be having pretty much the same conversation, especially if they had a pattern of behavior like Lena Taylor has. To me, the operative question now is going to be how much coverage is this story going to end up getting? Because I guarantee you, if this were State Senator Alberta Darling or State Senator Leah Vukmir, um, who had done the same thing, this would be a national news story. The question becomes, what sort of attention is this going to get now? Again, I assume that the, the police report is going to become public at some point in time, hopefully in the near future, as well as... I'm told there's a bank surveillance camera video of this incident and uh, a police body camera video as well. So once we see that, maybe we'll have an even better idea of how this matter was handled. But State Senator Lena Taylor back in the news and not, 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 not in a very good fashion. When we come back, is it time for Stormy Daniels to go away? Stick around. It's 1243. This is Jeff Wagner. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What can Wisconsin residents expect from the new Foxconn facility? And are there enough workers ready to fill the expected new jobs? President of the Milwaukee Metropolitan Association of Commerce, Tim Sheehy, joins John and Melissa with the latest. That is 320 this afternoon. You know, there's this other thing with, with the, the whole Lena Taylor story. Now, if, if the reports are correct, this whole thing starts over her trying to cash a check for which there's not sufficient funds in her account. Um, and again, I'm assuming that's because there's maybe something she deposited there that hasn't cleared or, or whatever. But she's she's a lawyer, practices law. She's been a state senator for a long time. Um, the, the reports are that this is all over like an $840 check. Okay, I, I understand at some point in time in your life, okay, maybe you know you, you don't have $840 that, are access accessible to you. But you've been a state senator for a long time and you're a practicing attorney. I mean, if I don't have $840 in one account, I, I, I certainly don't write the check on that account, but it's all right. Well, maybe I need to move money around here or something. I'm not going to get into a, a screaming match under any circumstances with some, some teller at the bank over that. The, the whole behavior is just so mind boggling that you you would preempt that you would get something like this going on and certainly at that point in time it, it, you know once the police get involved huh, <laughs> no I, I once the police start getting involved nothing good can come of this particular situation so Gru, my advice to you would be okay again the rule if you're ever in a situation don't you know who i am never a good phrase to use and, and secondly if you're in that bank trying to cash a check and they tell you you don't have enough money in the account Rather than berating the teller, 
ask to talk to the manager and see where that goes. All right, big story number three. Um, Stormy Daniels, and of course, this is a woman named, what's her name? Stephanie Clifford, that's her real name. She is the, don't know how you become a porn movie star. She is a performer in pornographic movies. I mean, I, what makes you a star as opposed to, to something else? But, of course, you know, Stormy Daniels, um, Stephanie Clifford, it, she's she's had her 15 minutes of fame because she, and I believe her about this, she says that she had a one-night stand with Donald Trump back in 2006. All right? That, that's her story. And then she says that she she tried to peddle the story to a lot of different places. She's now gone on to say that... Um, well, that, that she took $130,000 from Trump's lawyer to essentially keep quiet. Uh, she went on 60 Minutes, blah de blah blah de blah tells her story, tells her story, tells her story. She's back in the news, and everything had kind of died down for about a week or two. She's now back in, in the news. The story is a lawyer for Stormy Daniels filed a renewed motion seeking an expedited jury trial, as well as seeking to depose President Trump and Trump's personal lawyer about the payout that the lawyer gave to Daniels on Sunday. The attorney tweeted a link to the filing, which is similar to an earlier motion that he filed. So, again, what you've got here is this effort by the legal team for this woman to try to, again, keep this story in the news. Now, I don't think it is a particularly flattering story. I don't think it reflects well on President Trump back in 2006 for doing this particular thing. And by the way, like I say, I, when I saw the interview on 60 Minutes, I, do I believe that she probably had this one-night stand with the president? Yes. Um, I'm kind of sketchier on this. Well, this mystery man came up in 2011 and told me to knock it off. I, I'm, I'm a little bit sketchier on that. But clearly what you have here is a woman who is trying to get her 15 minutes of fame, and extend that 15 minutes of fame. Every time there is a story about her, it keeps her in the news and gives her the renewed ability to go and appear at strip joints, like she's got a Milwaukee appearance, I think, coming up in a month or two, um, and and charge more and more money so people can go and, and see her. I think, again, like I say, I mean, I think there's some validity to her story about the incident back in 2006, after that, I kind of get a little bit sketchy. But is it time for this story to go away? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I, I understand it does not reflect well on, on the president if this, in fact, did happen. I understand that there is the titillation factor. Oh, the man who's now the president of the United States sleeping with this porn star. I understand that there's curiosity factor. Oh, gee, what does she look like? But at some point in time, I mean, we're, we're not talking about public misconduct. At some point in time, does the story just sort of need to go away? And of course, her lawyer refers to this filing he made before, and now this is a big story all across the media. At some point in time, have we? should we lose interest in this? Should we care about this? And my answer is, all right, she's had her moment. She got to tell her story on 60 Minutes. Beyond this, all right, th- does it really matter? People, I understand, who don't like Donald Trump, they're going to want to hear all the details. But there's really no more details to tell. I mean, she's pretty much told everything that there is to tell. Is it time for 
Stephanie Clifford slash Stormy Daniels to just sort of, I don't know, go back to making appearances at the strip clubs. Let's start with Don and Beaver Dam. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Don. Don. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, like I was telling your, the other guy, mm-hmm. you know, this, this they, the left seems to be obsessed with Donald, Donald Trump's past. All this stuff that they the left, you know, just kind of just mm-hmm. focuses on is stuff that's happened way in the past. They don't look at what he's actually done for our country. And mm-hmm. then you see the hypocrisy on the left that says that when Clinton was in the House, yeah. he was caught red-handed. Well, well, right. I mean, right. And then, of course, you had all the you know, the feminists rallying around Bill Clinton. No, I mean, thanks. For, I guess I see. I and and of course, the the Clinton analogy is 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 a pretty powerful one. Now, I look. I I, I want to be fair though too. If there was, if this were you know four years ago, and Barack Obama was the president, and there was a story circulating around about how two years before he became president, Barack Obama was ensconced with some adult film actress. All right, I I fully understand that that would be a story up to up to a point. I guess the question becomes: at some point, is it important to move on? Now, I want to give I want to give this adult film actress, all the credit in the world. She is a tremendous self-promoter, and, and I, I get it. I mean, clearly what she's about is is the money, and I'm not talking about like $130,000 from Trump's lawyer. I mean, she's about the money. She's about saying, okay, look, this, is, this has reinvigorated my career because now I can travel all over the country and I can show up at strip joints and I can charge $50 for an autograph or people will pay huge cover charges or, or whatever. Which is, is fine. She's going to be making her money. But as far as the, the story in the mainstream media, I, I think it's way past time for the, the Stormy Daniels story to kind of move on. Really kind of nothing to see here. This is, it's like kicking a dead horse. What, what else is there to see? She's told her story. Let's talk to Mark downtown. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I think that the story needs to move on also. Uh, you're, these, the Democrats, it seems, are trying to grasp at straws to keep this thing in, in the news so that we are deflected from what Trump is doing. Uh, the whole Russian thing, all of this stuff is just smoke screens to keep. If you, if you turn on CNN, it's almost 24-7 Stormy Daniels. Who cares? At yeah, and did you, by the way, did you see CNN's ratings in the toilet? I mean, really, really historically bad. I'm not sure any of their any of their primetime shows are even in the first twenty on cable news. It's it was it was very very bad. I think people, whether it's the Trump attacks or people just getting sick of it, CNN is struggling. Well, you know, we've already gone through the access Hollywood, and, and Trump still got elected, even though that yeah. story broke three weeks before the election, and that could have been a bombshell that that destroyed his uh, his presidency. But it, it didn't. It didn't. It, and he's. Uh, this is not going to do anything either. It's just people are just sick and tired of it. And it's just you turn on Fox News, they're they're dealing with news. You turn on CNN, they're dealing with Stormy Daniels and Russia and all of these non-issues of our of our um, right. existence in, in in politics. Who cares about this stuff? Well, especially the. I mean, th- thanks to Call Mark. Especially the gee, before he was president. I mean, ten years before he was president, did the. The billionaire real estate developer slash 
TV, reality TV star, to the extent the celebrity was ever a reality TV star, did, did he have a one-night stand with this actress? I... I, I, I will accept for the sake of argument that she is telling the truth. I, I accept that, but at a certain point, it's like, okay, fine, nothing to see here at this point in time. Time to move on. It's twelve fifty-five. Oh, speaking of time to move on, honest to God, Packers wide receiver Trevor Davis, um, who was, of course, the uh, he's the he's the really the return guy. You know, they were hoping that they could get him on the field as a you know, to kind of stretch the field because he's really fast, arrested yesterday, charged with misdemeanor criminal threats at Los Angeles International Airport for joking about smuggling a bomb in his luggage. Davis was taken into custody after he and a female companion checked into a flight at the Hawaiian Airlines ticket counter. Okay, so they're going to Hawaii on a vacation. The attendant asked Davis normal security questions about his luggage and allegedly Davis joked about having a bomb in his bag. According to TMZ Sports, Davis turned to his companion and said, did you remember to pack the explosives? She said no and attempted to keep Davis from going on, they reported. He replied that he was just kidding, but police were called and he was arrested. All right, this is another one that the the Packers general manager, they got to be just saying he did what? He, he did what? He got what? He said what? I just, it, okay, you know, this was a guy that the Packers were counting on. I think it's going to be interesting to see if they, if he's ever back on the field for the Packers again. It's 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so today, Scott Walker making the decision to sort of rush headlong into the immigration debate that has been going on. Um, He said, look, he will, if he gets a request from President Trump, he will send National Guard troops to help patrol along the border. This is, of course, not the first time that presidents have have done that. Um, George Bush and Barack Obama both sent National Guard troops to the border. So he, he said, no, if I get a request, I'm going to honor it. But here's the, the interesting thing that he said beyond that, which is what I want to discuss. He said, also, he said, yeah, we, we would do that, but here's what I, I think we should perhaps do. I think we should build military training facilities along the Mexican border. Now, the idea, I guess, being... All right, we, we have all these different military bases and things like that across the country where we do training and things like that. Doesn't it make sense to perhaps kill two birds with one stone and, and let's set up some of our training facilities a- along the border so that as, again, part of the training and things like that, we can also double with perhaps some border defense. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are a regular listener to this program, you you know that I am am skeptical of a physical wall. I I have been since the time now President Trump, then candidate Trump, rolled it out. Um, I I think there might be parts of the border that a, a wall would perhaps make sense. 
But, you know, a, a wall is so like 19th century. People go over walls. People go under walls. Plus, if you understand the dynamics of the U.S.-Mexico border, you realize that there's a lot of areas where you just can't put a wall. And there's a lot of areas where to try to put a wall means you're going through private property and you're going to be involved in litigation for years and years and years. I've chosen to look at the idea of the wall in sort of a metaphysical sense. And it's a metaphor for, you know, we need to use whatever resources we have, whether it's the high-end technology or deploying more border agents or using planes or whatever. We need to do that in an effort to try to identify people who are coming in through the country. Having said all that, so, I mean, I I'm, I'm, have always been kind of a skeptic on the wall, uh, at least the wall across the entire U.S.-Mexico border. I'm not sure, forget not sure, I don't think that's the best use of, of funds. But I'm all in favor of securing the border. And I think as part of that, you know, you do need a, a presence. And I actually think Scott Walker is on to something by saying, hey, you know, maybe we, we need, we should start either creating or relocating military training facilities. And, and let's, let's put these in areas that are along the border. So, all right, we can maybe use some of the trainees for this type of stuff. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, good idea or bad idea? I think this is an idea which, again, it's not going to be the ultimate silver bullet. You have to do a lot of stuff if you're going to curb illegal immigration. But I don't think this is a bad idea at all. I would lump this into the category of maybe a good start. You know, get these training facilities down there. Let's start doing the training on the border. Training exercises can perhaps, you know, double with, um, you know, efforts to, uh, again, coincide with helping out civilian authorities when it comes to border enforcement i think this is the classic way where you kill like i say two birds with one stone 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line we discuss next i think the governor's on to something it's 113 this is jeff wagner if you're on the line please hold on 116 jeff wagner wtmj like i said i have been a skeptic of a physical wall which doesn't mean i'm skeptical of the need to enforce border border security what Scott Walker is saying is, hey, I, I think one of the things that would be great is, yeah, you, you can have some National Guard troops, but why don't we put in some permanent military training facilities along along the border? And that way you can perhaps use some of these military trainees to help provide assistance to the civilian authorities. Uh, here's a note. I swear I feel like Governor Walker stole this idea from me. I was just talking about this on an Internet forum the other day. We should definitely be doing military training at our border um, in weak areas, all kinds of military training could double as border security, reconnaissance, drone training, survival techniques, engineering, all kinds of things that are all so much better an idea than than the wall. Let's talk to Scott in Crivet. Scott, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? Yeah, it's a good idea. I, I spent a lot of time on a wall myself, but it was the Berlin Wall. But okay. you know what? Fort Hood, Texas is huge. I mean, it's a big, big Army base, and they've got a lot of vehicles and a lot of personnel. I think it'd be a damn good idea. Well, yeah, and I, I'm thinking about. I mean, your unit. Use, I'm trying to think about this. You use it for training stuff. I mean, you know, exactly. you're, you're regularly going to be training the military in in use of drones and surveillance, you know, and night work and that exactly. type of stuff. Yeah, you, you take advantage of it, not to not to take the place of the civilian border authorities, but to maybe work right. with them. Sure. 
Right, exactly. You know, uh, surveillance is one of our biggest technologies in our military right now, whether it be the Navy, the Air Force, Army, Marines, and that is an excellent place to do training because of the terrain. Sure. I mean, look at the terrain. Oh, yeah, Jeff. I mean, I'm walking right on the money, man. I, I'm all for that. I'll, I'll pay a little extra taxes for that. Well, thank, that's cool. I don't even know. Thanks, Scott, but I don't even know that you have to. I mean, I guess maybe you got to build the facilities or something, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you think about, okay, in the modern military, what is it? You know, what are some of the situations that people are going to be in for? You know, and what are we going to be monitoring? Okay, well, let's, if the deal is, let's communicate with, all right, we're, you know, we're going to work on communicating with planes and we're going to do night surveillance and whatever. Yeah, use the military again. Now, they're not going to supplant the, the private, you know, the, the civilian authorities. The border control is, the border patrol is still going to be the ones that are going to be responsible for making the apprehensions or not. But if you've got military patrols that are out there with the night vision goggles and things like that, and they see people trying to sneak across the border, what's wrong with allowing them to Working with again the border authorities to make these detentions seems to me it's it's seems to me again that's the phrase I'm using killing two birds with one stone it's a perfect sort of scenario. Let's talk to Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Scott. Yeah, I, I think and I'm not a big slippery slope guy, but anytime you have the military coming in and doing civilian functions, you know that makes me nervous. You know the next who knows where their next stop is going to be, but. You know, the biggest thing the president's done on immigration is pardoning the guy for the meatpacking plant that hired all the illegal immigrants. That's why they're coming here for work. And when the president pardons people who get prison sentences for hiring those people, that's really the message he's sending. Yeah, I, I think that, thank, thanks, I don't want to get too far afield. I mean, I think there is a multi-pronged immigration thing, and I, I agree with you that one of the ways that you stop this or make it less desirable is to go after it, the employers who are knowingly and intentionally employing people who are in this country illegally, which then again brings brings us back to the larger debate about, all right, do we, I mean, do we need to change our immigration policies because there's all these jobs out there that need to be done, but you can't find Americans or U.S. citizens to want to work them. That's a whole other discussion, and I leave that for another day and for people who are smarter than me. Uh, but I, I do think, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think you're right. You have to you have to choke off why it is that people are coming in in the first place. But at the same time, given the fact that people are coming in and given the fact that at least a percentage of the people who are coming in aren't coming in to try to find better lives. They're running drugs and things like that. You need to do whatever you can to kind of try to shuttle to shut this off. Now, Gene sends me a uh, text. I agree the Great Wall of America is a bad idea. How wise is it to have the border defended by those who haven't finished their training? Well, okay, a couple points here. First of all, it's not a question of defending the border per se. It is as part of your training you know, doing the practical stuff of working in connection with, uh, again, the, the Border Patrol people. Um, secondly, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to be people who haven't finished their training. You're not necessarily talking about recruits. Maybe you're talking about, all right, you know, this is where we send you for ranger school or whatever, and this is part of it. I, I just pulled range. I've just pulled ranger school um, out of my hat because I was talking to somebody not that long ago who went through ranger school. But you know what I mean? I mean, for for updated sort of training stuff. So to the extent that you're you know going around and you're doing surveillance or reconnaissance or whatever, 
and you need the infield experiences. In the field experiences, why why not get them down at the the border? Let's talk to Jake in Kenosha. Jake, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, take my call. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I think it's a very good idea. I was a former reservist, and a lot of times we would train going to other cities. Like the, uh, I was based out of Racine, and then Sturdivan at one time. And in fact, my my unit actually was an engineer unit. So, like I said, we built roads, and a lot of right. times we built those roads in Fort McCoy. And, in fact, at one point, they took our unit and started building the wall down by Texas. They disbanded our unit. Okay. I was, I was in for 12 years, and I built soccer fields, baseball <laughs> fields, and I helped train other people, I mean, especially on a scraper. That was my main right. equipment. So, yeah, I think it's a very good idea. I mean, otherwise, otherwise a lot of times in the wintertime, you're sitting around smoking cigarettes doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, right. right. See, that, that, is a perfect, that is a perfect example. If you've got a bunch of engineers who you're scheduled for, I don't know, three weeks of training or whatever it is, um, you know, why not send you someplace where you can do some practical stuff and keep up with your skills, work in the latest machines or whatever that might be. You know, sure, kill two birds with one stone. Now, thanks to Kai, make this makes eminent sense, and I think the governor is really, really on to something. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up on today's program, including, all right, would it be as big a story if it had happened somewhere other than at Trump Tower, stick around for that. And Sean Hannity versus Jimmy Kimmel and Melania Trump in the middle. Stick around. It's 123. This is Jeff Wagner. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Baseball is back. And I would like to send you... I was going to say, it's, it's actually WTMJ, but but me in particular would love to send you to Miller Park. Be listening during the 2 o'clock hour of today's show, and you will have a chance. We call it, this is our Welcome Back Baseball promotion. You will have a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to the April 21st Saturday evening game against the Miami, Mar- Florida Marlins, not Miami, Florida Marlins. On top of that. You get a $50 gift card courtesy of our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com. Like I say, that's coming up sometime during the 2 o'clock hour of today's program. I've told this story before. Gru, you might not have been working for me. Gru's producing the show today and always at the time. I, I was in high school, and this is I was a child of the 70s and stuff, and you know, you, you would everybody was into protests and stuff, not really me in particular. But I had a, I had a T-shirt, and the T-shirt... Well, it had a bad word on it, but I thought it was clever. And I remember I was going to go out of the house wearing this T-shirt that I thought was clever. It, it Actually, it was clever, but it had a bad word on it. So I'm kind of walking out of, of the house, and my mother, Anne, sees it. And she looks at me with kind of shock, and she said, What are you wearing, and where are you going? I said, I'm wearing my T-shirt. I'm going to school. She says, Have you... And then I get this look that... Um, I don't know. She she kind of looks at me like, could this child have possibly come out of me? You know, could this come, possibly come from my womb? I mean, are are you absolutely nuts? Why do you think that you'd be able to go out wearing this particular T-shirt? And I said, well, come on, mom, blah, 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 blah. Take that T-shirt back, take it off. And then I'm not sure I ever saw that T-shirt again, because I think after I took it off and then went to school, I, I think that that T-shirt probably ended up disappearing. But you know what? In retrospect, I don't know what I was thinking. My mom was absolutely, totally correct, and and she caught that. I was thinking about that when I came across this story. Um, there's a kid. His name is, he goes to an elementary school. 
Okay, he, he goes to this, his name's Anthony, he goes to this elementary school in Texas. Apparently what happens is he, he gets this, this T-shirt from somewhere. Apparently the, the deal was that um, a friend had given him some hand-me-down clothes, and so he's going through it and he picks this T-shirt. So he puts the T-shirt on, he goes to school. Well, he gets to school and all of a sudden there is a call because the... I was going to put a link to this, but I thought, no, I'd get called into one of those meetings again. Here, you know, you know the McDonald's logo, the M, and then it says, I'm lo- loving it. Okay, well, the T-shirt kind of looks like that, except it, it's, it's, not, it's not an M. What it, what it is, let me see, Belinda, okay, this is my, te- have you seen this T-shirt? you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know what you're talking okay, about, so I'm gonna, and I'm loving the story, okay, though. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to describe it. Imagine a stripper, okay, who who would lean on, lean back, kind of like on her elbows, so you would see her her buttocks, and who would then, like wearing high heels, kind of spread her legs, so it kind of looks like an M. That's what this is. <laughs> it's like this. It, it's like a. It's like a drawing of of a a stripper who's like wearing high heels. And it looks like an M. Um, the mom looks at this and just sees the M. Doesn't realize that it is what it is. So the kid goes off to school with this. <clears throat> I'm loving it with a you know what is an image of like a kind of you know a, a a woman with her legs spread. I don't know any genteel way to say this. Well, the school appropriately so freaks out and, and calls the mom. And to the mom's credit, this then this then the story ends up goes going viral. The mom comes out to her credit. She apologizes. She said, all I saw was, okay, the I thought it was a McDonald's thing, and I'm loving it. I didn't realize this was an X-rated McDonald's parody featuring a pair of women's legs wearing heels with the tagline, I'm loving it. And I certainly wouldn't have sent my elementary school kid to school wearing this. And I'm really, really sorry. She says, I promise from now on to monitor what my kids are wearing. I had no idea Anthony wore this particular thing to school. And then she issues her apology to the teachers and staff saying, I'm really embarrassed that I let him wear the shirt out. I bring that up only because I, I had a flashback to 1973 and me trying to sneak out of the house and the late great Ann Wagner catching me and just asking me that, that question that you never want to. You, you never want to hear from your mother, which, well, there's many questions you don't want to hear from your mother, but one being, why did you think you could wear that to school? It's 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As Wall Street continues to take a hit, although not today, um, what is the future outlook of the ongoing tariff situation between countries like the U.S. and China? Congressman Glenn Grothman shares the Congressional's perspective at 420 on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Now, Lena Taylor's people, we talked about this in the first hour of the program. If you haven't heard the story, apparently what happens Friday, sometime during the day Friday, she's in the Wells Fargo Bank on Wisconsin Avenue. Uh, police are there for some other reason. They're, they're on the scene. And Lena Taylor, who's a state senator, gets into a confrontation with the, and she's African-American, the teller is African-American. And apparently, Lena Taylor is trying to cash a check for which she does not have sufficient funds. And again, I, I, I don't know what's, what happened. My assumption is maybe she had deposited something and hadn't cleared or whatever. But, but the teller 
says, okay, you don't have money to cover this this check. And the dispute has gotten out of hand. At one point in time, apparently, um, Lena Taylor starts yelling at the teller, who is African-American, and uses the N-word. And, you know, in a, in a, and so the police get involved in this. And then there's the confrontation between the police. At some point in time, a supervisor gets called. They review the bank surveillance tape. They review the police body reports. The cops right now are kind of slow walking all the open records requests on this. But ultimately, the decision is made to issue a non-criminal, a civil disorderly conduct ticket, which carries a fine of, a, a, they vary, uh, no more than 500 bucks. I don't know if that's what the ticket was. So that, you know, that, that's kind of the background on it. So we've been told all day that Lena Taylor is going to have a statement. All right, now, Gru, what should that, I, I think this is the easiest question all day, what should the statement be? I, exactly. You, you got it in one. Yeah, I mean, th- this is the statement, and it, it's really simple. I am sorry for creating this disturbance. I apologize to the bank, to the teller involved, um, to the Milwaukee police for getting them involved with this. I'm sorry. Um, I did not handle this in the appropriate fashion, and I have instructed my attorney, or as of today, I have sent a a check um, to wherever I send it to, to satisfy the disorderly conduct citation, period. And then you just, you, you put it to bed. You put it to bed. So I guess the question is going to be, you know, is is that going to be the tact? But because this is one where you're never in the right. You're just never in the right. So anything other than I'm really sorry that this happened, I apologize to the police, I apologize to bank officials, I have paid the ticket as of right now, sorry, move on. Anything other than that would be, at least in my opinion, a huge mistake. Okay, speaking of huge mistakes, have you been following the the ongoing dispute between conservative radio commentator and Fox News host Sean Hannity and and Jimmy Kimmel? Now, I, I got to back up. Jimmy Kimmel, of course, you know, hosts his own late night talk show or entertainment show on 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 ABC. It is interesting that that Kimmel has taken some of the positions that he has over the years because Kimmel's history. I mean, he he did this thing called like the the Man Show, which um was was about about as as sexist as you could possibly get. Um, but but now you know Kimmel he's trying to make remake himself into more of a mainstream performer. And so he's very, very anti-Trump, and that's been the that's been the the recipe for rating success now. And, it, and maybe it'll work long term, maybe it won't. But you know, he's he's been very, very anti-Trump, and that's the thing. He's gotten a lot of attention. He's also um, offered his own commentary. He has a child who you know had a health problem, and he you know used his personal situation, even though I'm not sure it necessarily tied into the larger thing, to talk about the need for health care and stuff. But he's been very, very politically active well um the other day he goes off on the first lady melania trump now say what you want about melania trump but maybe this comes from the perspective of somebody who over the course of my lifetime i have tried desperately to learn other languages and my mind does not work that way i mean i took 
I took two foreign languages in in high school, Latin. Yeah, I took Latin, and and I can I can read a little bit about that still because I thought it might help me in what was going to be my chosen profession, law. And I took French, and I just wasn't any good at French. It was just it was a a struggle. And over the years, I've tried to learn a little bit of Spanish as well for reasons. But my my problem is I am not a natural at it. I, I'm just I'm not. I'm, I'm not a natural. I have trouble doing this. And I have real trouble thinking. People who are really good at this, they're, they're able to think in the foreign language as opposed to translate. I've struggled with that. Actually, one of my hopes is that I have, at some point in time, when I get more time, I, I'd really like to take up another language to see if I could learn it. Um, my, my, my sister-in-law's husband, who is from Bonaire, France, he is fluent, fluent in seven languages. It, it's, it, it's just uh, amazing. I mean, he, he's just an amazing guy um and you know he's been living in the united states for a while and he's fluent in in english um and and a number he speaks dutch it just it's amazing and i just marvel at people who are able to do that in part because i i'm not so i respect that so anyhow um over easter melania trump is um she's doing a a reading at the the Easter egg hunt, if you haven't seen this, you know they have the annual Easter egg hunt, and and she's reading to kids. Now she has an, an accent. She is from Slovenia, 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 Slovenia originally, and she's got a Slovenian accent. She is also fluent in six different languages. So she is reading to these kids in English, but with her. Slovenian accent. So Jimmy Kimmel decides that this is going to be funny. So he starts mocking her, um, like, for example, like her pronunciation of this or that is these and that. All right, ha, 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 ha. Here's the first lady who's reading these kids, and he's, he's going these and that's um, instead of this or or that. Well, at that point in time, you know, Sean Hannity and a number of other people start to wade in, saying, "You know what? What's what's this? Is this now what passes for entertainment in Hollywood? That you know you're going to try to get points out of making fun of her accent?" And people are saying, "You know, um, hey, this woman, she's, you know, what, whatever else you might think of her husband, or whatever else you might think of her. I mean, she's fluent in six languages. How many people are, are that? You can make the argument that you know Jimmy Kimmel might have trouble with one." And then the question is, you know, is he going to start making a fun fun of somebody who's got a Boston accent or a Texas accent, or is it just the accents? So this is one text I'm looking at of immigrants he mocks. And Sean Hannity ends up taking up the cause. There is an online petition right now calling for uh, the boycott of, of Jimmy Kimmel Live, and I'm I'm not a big fan of boycotts one way or the other. I think that's kind of a, I think that's sort of an exercise in futility. But th- this has now escalated into a major uh, Twitter war to which you know, Jimmy Kimmel has now sort of apologized for some of the things that he has said about uh, Donald Trump, about um, Sean Hannity <clears throat> in the course of that. And he's also you know, said that, look, I, I guess I-, I thought it was kind of harmless. Uh, Mrs. Trump has all. Um, OK, this is what he says about this. Um I will take Sean Hannity at his word that he was genuinely offended by what I believed and still believe to be a harmless and silly aside, referencing our first lady's accent. Mrs. Trump almost certainly has enough to worry about without being used as a prop to increase uh, TV ratings. So that's the scope of, of the apology. 
But I guess I, I'm wondering if that's enough. Now, I'm not talking about boycotts and all, but, you know, is is Melania Trump fair game? And is it appropriate, I don't know, to mock the fact that here you have a woman who is fluent in six languages, but who speaks with an accent? I mean, it, who, she's reading to kids, for God's sake. I mean, is that the type of thing that now is fair game for, I don't know, late-night network comedians? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I guess I think there are lines that you cross, and I've said this um, for various other presidents as well. I think as a general rule, um, first ladies are off limits unless they are trying to act as policymakers. If Hillary Clinton wants to take over health care, well, that's a different story. Um, if Hillary Clinton wants to, you know, um, however, you know, go read to, to children, that, that's, that, that's not, you're not a policymaker. And I guess I do think a line was crossed here. And I think because it's Donald Trump and because it's people associated with Trump, the general attitude is that anything goes. And I don't think that's right. 414-799-1620, we discuss next. Um, it's 146. This is Jeff Wagner. 150, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, this topic isn't about Sean Hannity versus Jimmy Kimmel. I don't care. That, they, they can sort it all out. But it's about Jimmy Kimmel deciding it's funny to mock Melania Trump, the first lady, because, gee, she's reading to kids you know, at the Easter egg roll at the White House, and because she's got a Slovenian accent, Instead of this and that, she's saying these and that. Well, okay, the woman speaks six languages, for goodness sake, and this is what passes for humor? Come on. Um, one of our texters says, he doubts that Jimmy Kimmel can do anything more than order a beer in any language other than English. I mean, it's just, and I guess part of the reason I'm sensitive to this is, first of all, I'm not sure you should ever mock people with accents. Secondly, you speak six languages, I take my hat off to you, because I, that's not how my mind works. David in Racine. David, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, David. I, I told my I told your screener that you know my wife is Asian. She came from another country and spoke little or no English, and she does quite well now. And, and they would make fun of somebody with an accent because that, they probably speak at least two languages, whereas you probably only speak one. Yeah, I, I mean, right. And in the case of Melania Trump, it's six languages. That I mean, right? That's right. That's that, no, thanks for calling. That, this, this is what. But again, because because you know, some people hate Donald Trump. Well, then everything else is fair game. Dave downtown. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Well, I'm Dave too. My wife's Mexican as well, and she speaks Spanish and English, and she has sometimes a little bit of an accent, but. I just don't get the mean-spiritedness. I mean, what's the end-all game to make some fun of somebody? I mean, normally, if you're comedian, you find other forums. besides poking fun at the lowest common denominator. It's mean-spirited. And I, just, I don't get the upside. Yeah, I, I don't either. And, and that's why, I mean, I have been very consistent in all the years I've done the program. Again, I, like I said earlier, I think, I think there's some things that are off-limits. I think um, kids uh, of... Kids of presidents should be off limits, regardless of who the president is. And, and I think first ladies, if, if they're not involved in policy. Now, again, yes, is it fair to criticize Hillary Clinton when she decides as the first lady she wants to take over the health care debate? Right, because she's not acting as first lady. She's acting as a policymaker. But, I mean, to whether it's mocking Barbara Bush or mocking, you know, 
or, or Michelle Obama, um, I think it's just wrong. It's off limits as far as I'm concerned. I mean, they've got nothing to do with the discourse in the country. They're married to the person. They're off limits as far as I'm concerned. Unless they inject themselves into a political policy. Other than that, no. Right, no, right, exactly. And thanks for calling. When Michelle Obama, for example, decides that she wants to um, throw herself into the, the school lunch debate, okay, this is going to be her cause, and she wants to you know, push and use her position to advocate for nutritional standards. Well, yeah, I, I think on that issue, she makes herself fair game for people who don't think that's the way to go. But at the same time, if she shows up at, I don't know, she shows up at some you know event in New York or Washington, do I think it's appropriate to make fun of her, for example, if she's wearing a dress that doesn't look that great, or, or whatever. No, I, I don't, and I, I've said that all along. And this, I mean, Melania Trump is not a policymaker. I don't think that she's ever set herself up for that. You're reading to kids, though, and you end up getting, you know, mocked for this. Marianne in Waukesha. Marianne, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Marianne. I feel that this is a form of bullying. This is how our kids start bullying each other. You make fun of the way they talk. We have foreigners in the school, and this is just plain bullying. Well, it, it is. And again, look, I, I understand the guy's a late-night comedian, and you know, you're know you doing this type of stuff for a laugh. But yeah, this is the same one of the same guys who's you know denouncing the lack of civility and bullying and things like that. And you're right. And here you're picking on some woman who's reading to kids you know, at an Easter egg thing, for goodness sakes. And, I'm, I, and then kids hear their parents laughing about it and talking about it, and they're like, oh, good, then we can make fun of so-and-so at school. Right, right. I mean, you wonder where, what, what if this was, um, is it okay to make fun of somebody that has a lisp or, you know, a, a speech issue? I mean, if, if Melania Trump, for example, stuttered, would that be funny? Because, okay, we can end up doing this type of stuff. No, and, that, and, and again, it, it's like, thanks for, I mean, it, it's, it's this whole idea of some stuff is fair game and some stuff isn't. And look, I, I get that Kimmel is a comedian, and I get that if you're going to be a public figure, you have to, um, you know, you, you have to be somewhat thick-skinned about this. But you now this is the this is the first lady, for goodness sakes, you know. I mean, and, and some of the pettiness, because remember there was a story that a while ago about how you know she's wearing you know, heels or something, and they go, oh, look, she's going to get on the helicopter with, with heels on, or she puts on heels as she's getting off the helicopter. That's what people are obsessing about, really? You know, so, again, if, if you want to pick on the politicians, you want to pick on whether it's the husband or wife who are in politics, that's fair, but the spouse, really? And if you're going to make fun of the spouses, you're going to make fun of them because... Well, gee, they have an accent because they speak six languages. Well, learn another five, Jimmy, and then maybe you have a right to talk. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 207, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right, the big political news, such as it is over the weekend. Um, Eric Hovde, who's a Madison business person, ran uh, a very competitive race for the Republican nomination for Senate in 2012. And has been toying with the idea of running in 2018 for the Republican Senate nomination. He announced over the weekend um, that that he was not going to run. Now, some people who should have known better had been touting for the last several months, oh, Hovde's going to get in, Hovde's going to get in. Hovde was, in my opinion, never going to get in. I I just, as, as a practical matter, if you wanted to run a credible race, 
unless you are a three- or four-term governor of the state of Wisconsin, you would have needed to get into the race a, a long time ago. This this was not going to happen. And I'm not saying Eric Hovde might not at some point in time in the future you know, decide to run for office. Um, he could self-finance, which would make it a little bit easier. But I, I as time went on, if, if he was going to run, he would have made the decision by late fall. Uh, my guess is that you know he kind of looks at the political landscape, realizes you would be running into a, a headwind, and has simply decided, well, if I want to get involved in politics, I'll wait till perhaps a more opportune time, which means the Republican Senate nomination is going to be one of two candidates, either State Senator Leah Vukmir from Brookfield or um, Delafield businessman Kevin Nicholson, both who were um, at, at Insight. Um, I People keep asking me, you know, who, who's going to win this race? And I keep saying, I, I just honestly don't know. I mean, the conventional wisdom would say that, you know, Leah Vukmir, who is certainly well-known, and I, I, I use the phrase establishment Republican, except I don't say that derisively. I mean, the, the Republican establishment in Wisconsin has certainly been very, very activist. This isn't a swamp that needs to be drained. And Leah Vukmir was on the front lines in the war for on Act 10, and voter ID and tax reform and a number of things that have been important to Wisconsin conservatives over the course of the last, you know, going on 20 years. So if I say she's part of the establishment Republican Party, that that's not a bad thing. And I'm not saying that a- at all. Um, she's got the endorsements or will have the endorsements of most of the party regulars. Um, and, and that's something significant. On the other hand, you know, Kevin Nicholson, and I, I, I thought this when I got a chance to go one on one with him for you know, 25 minutes at, at Insight. He's an impressive guy. I, I understand that, you know, he was a college Democrat and things like that, but he's got a he's got a, a background in the military that he, he touts a lot. He's got some very, very well-heeled supporters. The story is for the first three months of 2018, the first three months, he raised more than a million dollars for his campaign. He had more than $800,000 on hand as of the end of March. And I guess the reason you look at the money is because, as I've often believed and I've often argued, the the candidate that has the most money doesn't necessarily win. You you need enough money to get your message out. So you need enough. Um, and I mean, candidly, you know, eight hundred plus thousand dollars on hand. Plus, there, there's a number of like third party groups. He's got some very, very well-heeled backers that are supporting him. But there's no question in my mind that Kevin Nicholson is a solid conservative candidate who has an interesting message. And to the extent that 2018 ends up being the year of the outsider, just like 2016 was, um, I, I think you know he, he will do well. Leah Vukmir, very strong candidate. She will do well. But... I, I can't predict. I, I, some of my friends are saying, well, Leah Vukmir is going to win in a walkaway. And I keep saying, no, I, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. I think it's going to be a strong race. And from my perspective, I would like to see the Republican candidate emerge who has the best chance of beating Tammy Baldwin. That, and that's kind of one of the things that I'm going to be looking at as I try to decide who I'm going to vote for um, come next August. I, I'm not going to be endorsing on the radio we'll have both of them on on multiple occasions but um eric hovday that that he kind of flirted with this and flirted with this and teased this and there are some people in madison oh he's going to get in he's going to get in 
I, he was never, in my opinion, serious about getting in, and he would have been a strong candidate as well, but I think he's just decided to wait. So the choice is going to be Nicholson or Vukmir, and anybody who thinks that this is just going to be a lay-down race um, is wrong. This is going to be a very, very contentious race, I think, over the course of the next several months. I, I think both sides don't necessarily like each other either, which um, should make for some interesting interesting play back and forth but it's now a two-horse race kevin nicholson um or leah vukmir one of the two of them will be the republican nominee all right let us switch gears completely um when we moved here when i was a little kid we moved i I grew up in glendale and uh we lived about a mile from bayshore shopping center now it's bayshore town center but at the time when we moved here, it was Bayshore Shopping Center, and it was a, an L-shaped outdoor mall. Um, on one end, you had a Sears store. On the other end, you had a grocery store. I want to say it was a Kroger, but I could be wrong. And then kind of in the center of the L, you had Boston store. And and it's interesting, all the changes that have gone on at, at what was originally Bayshore Shopping Center to now it's Bayshore Town Center – all the different changes have gone on. That grocery store is long gone. The Sears is gone. There was an indoor mall. Now the indoor mall has been scaled back, and now there's a little bit of an indoor mall, and there's the outdoor facility. The one constant through all the years, and we're going back to the late 1960s, has been the presence of a Boston store at Bayshore. And the same thing, I think you had the Boston store at Southridge. You had a Boston store that was at Northridge. You had a Boston store. So you had Boston stores that were all over. They were one of the staples. Well, we're going to know tomorrow whether or not Boston store stays as a viable business, or at least we'll have at least an indicator of whether or not Boston store is going to continue to stay open. Um, on Friday, there were some erroneous reports Actually, people kind of jumping the gun, saying that that all the Boston stores in Wisconsin were going to close. That's not quite true. What what happened was that Boston store, it, it Bonton stores, which is Boston store and a couple other different types of, of retailers across the country. What they did is they sent out these legally required notices saying that there is a potential for a, a store closing. Um, th- they were legally required to do that, but that doesn't mean that they're automatically going to close their, their, there's 12 stores and their Milwaukee headquarters. It just is a notification that we might. So this is the precursor to that. We'll know, we'll at least have an indication tomorrow because what's going to happen tomorrow is Boston store is in bankruptcy. As a matter of fact, a huge debt. Just huge debt. And what they're, they were supposed to do it today, but they're going to do it tomorrow. They're having what they call an, an auction. And this is going to be the opportunity to find out, is there going to be anybody that steps up and bids on, on the company? And it could go one of two ways. It could go that you have, say, a, another I don't know, retailer or an an entity that owns shopping malls across the country and is looking for properties, they could step up and they could make a bid to take over the company, try to bring it out of bankruptcy and try to turn it around, continue to operate it as a a viable concern. 
um, other people that will be bidding on this is that uh, our our corporate liquidators. See, I mean, right right now the company owes a whole bunch of money, and creditors are sitting there saying, "Look." We don't think that this can be turned around. We don't think that this can be brought out of bankruptcy. The debts are too great. The the dynamics have changed. So what we really need to do is we need to just to say we're going to liquidate the company. Stop running it as an ongoing concern, have going out of business sales, and kind of quit You know, while we're behind. You know, cut our losses and move forward. And depending on whether it's the liquidators or some new outfit that comes in that wants to run it as a going concern – That'll tell or at least give you an indication about whether they're going to close. Right now, there's no question that Boston Store is in a is in a bad spot, way, way, way in debt. I, I was talking to a couple of people who've tried to shop there recently, and you know the inventories are limited because you know suppliers are reluctant to extend credit to businesses where you know they they might be out of business and they, owe, they already owe a bunch of money and they might be out of business soon. Well. You know, you're not going to send them the latest tennis shoes on credit because you're worried whether you're going to get paid for it or not. So the big question is, will Boston Store and the other companies that are the other stores that are run under the Bonton label, will will they continue to operate? Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We have talked on this program a lot about how tastes have changed. The way we shop has changed. The Internet has changed a lot of stuff. You have some stores, um, including some big box retailers, which continue to be very popular. Walmart does well. Target does well. You've had other mid-range department stores like Sears that are circling the drain. And now you have stores like Boston Store um, who are in trouble as well. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can Boston Store be saved? Do you think that there is a way that these stores can be turned around and continue to be kept vital? Or is this just a reflection of it, it was a great run, you stayed in business for a long time, but people aren't shopping at these traditional type of department stores anymore, and it's best just to move on? 414-799-1620, can Boston Store be saved? And... Again, you know, right now you've got about 2,500 people, you know, that work in Wisconsin in the stores. They obviously hope the answer is yes, but is that realistic? 414-799-1620. And if you are or were a Boston store shopper, I would be particularly curious in getting your perspective. We're back to discuss in a minute. It's 219. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens tomorrow at the auction of Bonton, which is the parent company of Boston Stores and several other ones. Um, they're in bad financial straits, and they're, they're auctioning off the company. And the question's going to be, does it go to people who are just going to piece it off, the liquidators who are going to say, look, we can't continue to run this as an ongoing concern, and so let's liquidate it, let's sell it off, let's pay the creditors, whatever we can pay them, and then move on. Or is it going to be purchased by somebody who thinks they can turn it around? I will tell you, as much as Boston Story is a part of this community, and I know that there's thousands of people in this area who work for, I'm not sure what the turnaround strategy is. Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Yeah, hey, loyal listener. Thank you, uh, sir. Um, 
my big question is, you know, how do the malls stay open when you're losing your big anchor stores like yeah. this? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's look at let's look at Bayshore Town Center, for example. Just, I mean, you you had Sears, and you know, Sears has been you know circling the drain, like I say, for several years now. That's gone. Let's say you take let's say you take Boston Store out of there. Well, okay, you you've lost your anchor tenant. Same thing for, you know, I mean, same thing for any of them, Brookfield Square or Mayfair, any of those. You know, what what happens when you start losing those places? Yeah. Now check this out. My my kid moved to the East Coast. And one of the big anchor stores at the mall she goes to was Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah, go on. You know? And and they're closing those malls left and right. They lose these big anchors. Why go to the mall? Most people don't like that anyways, but they go for those anchor, anchor stores. I guess the question, though, is, Steve, um, yeah, you're, you're right. That, that would be a huge blow to all the various malls, but, um, you know, can can the right now the business model obviously isn't working you know whether it's the internet or whatever people aren't shopping at those what i would call the mid-level department stores anymore do you, you think there's anything that be, can be done to change that what are we looking at in 5 years yeah what is the what is the whole shopping demographic going to look like in 5 years that's the question um right Th- thanks for call well obviously as as the population ages, um, and younger people who are familiar with, okay, there, there was a certain point in time when I was a kid that you, you'd hang out at the mall. That was the big thing. Hey, you know, we're going up to the mall, etc. Now I, I don't know that that's as, as much of a draw. People are more used to shopping online. I'm not sure that that's going to change. You know, there's always going to be. See, the the problem is being in the middle of the road. It, it's tough. They're, you know, the, the Targets and the, the Walmarts of the world, they're doing quite well. And then you've got the higher-end specialty stores that are doing well, but it's those mid-level department stores. They're the ones that are, are, are being hurt. Bob in Milwaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Hi, yeah. Bob. Good. I, I would say I'd like to see if keep it open because of fact I don't like to shop online. I like to go and try stuff on where I buy clothes. Yep. And I just, uh, I'm just not, uh, on the, I'm not on the internet, I would put it that way. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the, yeah, there's all sorts of people that are out there that like to go and, you know, touch things and see how they feel and see how they look in person. No, thank, and there, there's always going to, look, there, there's always going to be a market for that. I guess the question is, is it enough to sustain all these big stores? And the answer so far, Bob, has been unfortunately no. I mean, I, look, I, I never li- love to see stores close. And, this would be a big deal because, I mean, okay, you, you look at all the money, for example, the city of Milwaukee put in with incentives to try to keep Bonton here. I mean, all right, you 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 close down all the different stores around here. You create, like our first caller was saying, all the problems that you have with the, um, you, you know, with, with the vacancies in the existing shopping malls. I, I you'd like to see them figure out a way to make this work. And so please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, because I, I'm rooting for him to figure out a way to succeed. I will tell you, though, I'm not sure I see that path. And if I were, you know, one of the people that was owed a whole bunch of money by Bonton, I, I think my reaction might be, look, I, I don't know how we turn this around. I don't know what we can do in this particular environment to make it any different, to make it better. We'll have a better idea, though, of what's going to happen tomorrow. So stay tuned. All right. Can we cue up that music? Come see what's 
We are right in the middle of our promotion. We call Welcome Back Baseball. The Brewers are back five and five, but you know, that's okay. Season is early. I want to send you to see the Brewers play the Florida Marlins on April 21st, Saturday night. I also have a $50 gift card from MelvinMulch.com, our sponsor. Let's give it to caller number 12, 414-799-1620. Caller number 12, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, wins our gift card and four tickets to see the Brewers Play the Marlins on Saturday, April 21st. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 236. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What can Wisconsin residents expect from the new Foxconn facility? And are there enough workers ready to fill the expected new jobs? President of the Milwaukee Metropolitan Association of Commerce, Tim Sheehy, joins John and Melissa with the latest at 320 this afternoon. All right. Yeah. Perhaps unsurprisingly, people are on the let's blame Trump bandwagon. It is more complicated than that, and there is a larger story here. Um, New York's Trump Tower, 58 stories tall. You might have seen this on the news. A fire broke out in the high-rise on Saturday. They don't, at least last time I checked, they don't know for sure what the cause of this is. Um, an apartment caught um, on fire, um, and what happened was a um, 67-year-old man who was a very prominent art dealer, um, they found him unconscious as an apartment engulfed in flames. So he ended up, he ended up dying. Um, nobody else um, was killed. Four firefighters received non-life-threatening injuries, um, but it was... You know, it it was it was a mess. The fire was relatively contained, um, but but still caused a huge problem, and, and somebody died, which is an unfortunate thing. Okay, now here's where the story has been going today. In New York, the law says, and the law goes back to like the 1980s something or other. The law says that any new high rise building that is built has to have sprinkler systems in it. The law says that if you are doing major renovations on an existing high-rise that doesn't have sprinklers, you have to put sprinklers in. Don't ask me what major renovation is. But, but you know, if you'd be tearing the thing up, you have to put it in. However, if you have high-rise buildings that were built before the sprinkler law went into effect that aren't going through major renovations, They don't have sprinklers. The upper floors in Trump Tower did not have sprinklers. Now, before you say, oh, that's this this evil Trump, et cetera, that that is relatively commonplace. Wisconsin is the same way. Wisconsin has a law that dates back to the 70s that says that new construction of buildings over a, a certain size, certain height, have to have sprinkler systems in it. But if you have a building, a high-rise building, that was built before that law went into effect, it it doesn't have sprinklers. And there's no requirement that it be retrofitted. The reason for that is it's extremely expensive. I mean, um, okay, imagine imagine your house, for example. Let's say you have an, an older home, and... It's one thing to say, if, let's say 
you know, we decide that your sprinkler systems are an effective way to fight fires in homes. So we put a requirement in that, you know, any new construction has to have a sprinkler system in it. Okay, fine. Well, then they put it in as they're building the house. But imagine that you have a home that's, I don't know, 75 years old. And you sit there and you think, okay, well, how? imagine what it would take to put a sprinkler system in that home and how expensive it would be. Well, the same thing is true that this rationale that they have for the high-rises. You know, if you're living in one of these older buildings, well, older high-rises, it it doesn't have sprinklers, but it becomes, at least the argument is, it becomes cost-prohibitive to expect the building owners to go in and try to retrofit these high-rise that might be 60, 70, 80 years old. The risk, of course is that when you have a fire, you don't have the sprinkler systems to put them out. And this is, of course, not the first time something like this has happened. Um, Honolulu, um, in the last year or two, you know, same sort of ordinance. They had a fire at one of these high-rise apartment buildings that had been built before um, the requirement for sprinklers, and you, know, you, you had a loss of life. Now the way, since this is Trump Tower, this story is back in the news, Here's the evil Donald Trump. There, he's one of the, when he was a developer, he fought against you know having these sprinklers installed, and that's true. But of course, all the developers in these communities they unite and they say no, you, you shouldn't make us retrofit it because it, it's so expensive. So yes, Trump fought this, but Trump was not alone. Building owners fought and used all the political clout they could to say, all right, you know, you got to grandfather us in. You can't expect us to retrofit these older buildings. Right, I think fire people would tell you that sprinklers save lives. There, there's no question about it. You know, they can help stop these types of situations. But at the same time, there is a huge cost. And if the developers or the building owners are going to have to pay that cost, that means the cost is going to be, you know, passed on to whether it's the renter or, you know, if it's a condo, a high-rise condo, you're going to have to pay that as well. So let's tee this up, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In Wisconsin, as well as in New York, as well as in Hawaii, and in most places across the country, there are buildings built before whatever the particular year would be, 1973, 1978, 1982, whatever, that do not, these high-rises, that people live in them, They don't have sprinkler systems because the law doesn't require them to put them into the existing buildings, whereas if you were were building a new building, it would have to go in. All right, should we say, damn the costs, doesn't matter, if it saves lives, we should spend the money. Should all buildings above a certain height be required to have sprinklers? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a couple minutes. It's 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, there's a fire that breaks out in an apartment at Trump Tower on the 50th floor on Saturday. Um, The occupant of the tower ends up dying in the the fire. They don't have a sprinkler system um, in the residential areas of Trump Tower because the building was built before the law went into effect. The law now says all new construction has to have sprinkler systems. That's not unique to Trump Tower. Um, most 
Most older residential high-rises in New York don't have sprinklers, and that's true all across the, the country. Um, new buildings, yes. Old buildings, no. The argument is, does this now mean that we should require all these older high-rises to retrofit? Um, I was looking at one story to give you an idea. Small units in this high-rise in Honolulu where they had a fire the other day, or fire a couple of years ago, you know, the, the estimates are um, somewhere between eight to ten to twelve thousand dollars per unit to retrofit with sprinklers. Okay, let's talk to Tom in Watertown. Hi, Tom. Hiya, Jeff. Hey, let me tell you, these guys are multimillionaires. They're billionaires. These guys should be retrofitting these things to have sprinklers in these systems. If they want to own them, then I'll tell you what: they have to have the uh, liability to stand up and uh, put a sprinkler system in there. Not okay, yet. well, Tom, well, let me stop you though. Let, let's let's say it's a condo building. So you know, I'm I'm living in Chicago. Um, I'm on the I'm on the the 35th floor. I I've got a condo. It's not a five million dollar condo. It's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar condo. So I'm the one. And so you know, it's not like you're a multimillionaire or a billionaire. All of a sudden, you get saddled with say it's a ten thousand dollar fee to try to retrofit it. I mean, is that fair to that person? Well, no, not to the person, but to the person that owns that con- condominium. He he is the person that bought that in the first place, and he knew. That these things, uh, you know, you you get them at a cheaper price for uh, not being retrofit with the sprinkler systems. So there's a discount there that he's already taking. That the person that bought the building, Trump mm-hmm. Towers, when he bought that, he knew there were no sprinkler right. systems in there. No, right, he, right, thanks, and and they weren't required. I mean, I guess that's that that's the thing. And and again, I I understand that some people might want to make this about, you know, Trump. Oh, look, this is the Trump building. And the only reason I bring this up is because this is not a unique situation. This happens. I don't want to say it happens all the time. But, I mean, you do have these fires and these high-rises. And as a general rule, most of the high-rises that you're going to find that are going to be built before a certain year don't have sprinkler systems in it. Now, Tom, you say, well, the billionaire developers can pay for it, but it's – that cost, the cost is going to be, first of all, I mean, what if it is a condo? I mean, I do raise that. So, I mean, you know, I don't know if suddenly somebody came to you and said, okay, we're going to, you bought this place, you knew it didn't have sprinklers in it, we're now going to retroactively change the rules and we expect you to come up with 10 grand or 12 grand or 15 grand or whatever it is. We expect you to do that. Well, okay, is, you say, well, wait a second, I, I didn't, I don't care about this, I'm willing to take the risk. I don't think it's that bad. I mean, should government end up, you know, should the government be doing that? Secondly, if developers have to retrofit this, you know what's going to happen is that cost is going to be passed on to the renters or whatever. They're just not going to eat it. Third, I guess, and this is another problem, I don't even know logistically in some of these older high-rise buildings whether it's even possible to, to do that. I mean, Obviously, modern construction it is, but I mean, I don't know if you've got some high-rise building that was built in, in 1945, for example. I don't know how do you even retrofit it? Can you even do that, you know, type of thing? And that's, I guess, that's where I kind of come down on this. Do do I think sprinklers save lives? Absolutely, they do. They do. Do I think you know sprinklers in these high-rise buildings um, are? Are good just like I mean it's one thing to have it's one thing to say put smoke detectors in 
Okay, because smoke detectors, you're talking about a few bucks, you put them in on the different levels. It's another thing to say, okay, we're going to try to retrofit each unit or each of these floors with these sprinkler systems that are going to cost, you know, each up eight to ten grand for whatever apartment it is, you know, a million dollars over the course of a huge high rise. It's easy to say that. I mean, I guess I look at this and say, I think it is a valid concern. If people are worried about that, well, you know, then, then maybe you want to find an apartment or you want to find a place in, in a different, in a different facility. I think sprinklers save lives. I think it is certainly a selling point and a consideration. You know, in Wisconsin right now, we've got this issue about whether or not the law should be changed to require sprinklers in um, residential buildings between like three and and twenty stories, and that's kind of this ongoing um, ongoing battle. Let's talk to Mary in Waukesha. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Hi, Mary. Hi, um, I'm just wondering if the personal residence of Donald Trump and his family has a no. uh, system in. No, it doesn't. Okay, doesn't. No, no, doesn't. No, thank. Thanks for your call. Nope, nope, no. It. it no, it, it doesn't. Um, there, there apparently aren't sprinklers, at least my understanding, is that none of the residential units um, above, you know, there's commercial units below, but none of the residential units in this building have, have sprinklers. And my understanding, at least, is that includes um, includes the, the penthouse where the president is. I'm, um, I guess it's an interesting debate. And the only reason I bring this up, first of all, it's terrible the guy lost his life. You know, um, very terrible he lost his life. It's they, they don't know yet how the fire was set and whether it's even possible the fire could have been set intentionally. They, they, they don't know anything about that. Um, and it's a bad thing. And the, the good thing is this was, this was self-contained. It was relatively contained, so there wasn't that extensive sort of damage that was there. But the, the larger point does become, moving forward, first of all, the fact that this was in Trump Tower, some people are going to try to politicize this, oh, this is Trump. To, to me, it is that larger question about are we willing to have government come in and say to landlords all across the country, you've got to spend extra money. I'm not at that point now. I, I'm just, I'm not because that cost, I think, is going to be prohibitive for a lot of people. I think if sprinklers are important to you, well, okay, fine, then you maybe find a newer building that has them in there. But when you hear this story, it's more than about politics. It's about this larger policy matter that we're still wrestling with this all across the country. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure, Melissa Barkley, and Greg Matzik have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. It's 2.52. This is Jeff Wagner.